Have you ever wondered what it's like to run 250 miles? I've only done it one time. We're going to talk to someone that's done it several times, Trevor Medding, and he's going to go over his Cocodonia 250 race with us. Welcome to episode 167 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Trevor Medding. I run for uh, Rabbit Elite Trail, trail racing over Texas, victory sport design. I'm also an ambassador for uh, Athletic Brewing and uh, Garmin. And I'm uh, pleased to be joining uh, Training for Ultra today. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. Great cause. Oh, thanks. I respect that, man. So keep doing what you do, man. Keep inspiring. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey everyone, it's the Train for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? I decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler. I could probably run across the country. 100 miles is not that far. I'd also like to give a shout out to the show sponsor, Exoskin. They make toe socks, regular socks, underwear now, compression shorts, base layers, hats, arm sleeves. Definitely check them out. They make super high-tech, high-quality gear. If you want 20% off, use the code T. The number 4U20 for 20% off their website. And big shout out to all you Patreon supporters. I definitely wanted to put your names on the screen here. I really appreciate what you are doing behind the scenes with the Facebook group. It's really fun to interact and I'm just very grateful. So big thank you to Exoskin and you Patreon supporters for making this all work. Trevor, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you joining me. It's long overdue. I think we chatted last year at some point and just between my schedule and your schedule. Yeah, I'm just thankful to finally have the opportunity to share some of your running background, pick your brain on ultras, and you've done one or two races before. So uh, <laughs> it'll be fun to hear more about your background. So thanks for joining me. No problem. Thank you for the opportunity. Glad to be here. So I've obsessively watched Spot Tracker for <laughs> most of the last week. Um, and I, I'm not trying to open it up here too awkwardly, but you ran a little 250 mile race and I couldn't help but just open it up with hearing more about that experience because I mean, I kept watching the live feed. Um, they, they cover Jamil and his team always cover races really well, but this, this was groundbreaking for 250 mile races to actually have real time coverage. I even like interacted with Jamil at one point when he's having a beer. Um, tell me more about Coca Donia 250 of all your races. Yeah. This one has me on the edge of my seat. Well, yeah. Well, it's fresh in my mind, obviously only being uh, one week out as well. But uh, 
yeah, I was super excited to go run this as well. Um, I love the long distances, as you may see from my running resume, but uh, to be able to go and participate in this inaugural event, point to point, uh, 250 miles through Arizona was was awesome. And when they first announced it, you know, it was just a new 200 mile plus distance. And then, uh, you know, within the last few months is just when they discovered or, or came out with their plan of, yeah, we're going to live stream this. I think their I, Black, Black Canyon event in January was their first go at it. And then uh, from that, they decided to to scale it up into this uh, multi-day event here in for Cocodono, which was just amazing. I mean, yeah. grow, growing up, my dad used to watch baseball and like he wouldn't even watch the TV most of the time. <laughs> it's just growing up. It's a memory like the baseball games. He just listened to them. Um, and I found myself just listening to commentary and, you know, when there's some exciting moment, you know, I'd take a two minute break from work and go check it out. But, uh, what, what initially interests you the most in this race? Because you've done how, how many 200 mile plus mile races have you done thus far? And then how'd you even hear about this one? Yeah, so prior to this, I've done uh, three 200-mile pluses, done two 200-milers, and then one nearly 400-mile sort of journey run. Um, so I had experience with the distance before. Um, and then this one, um, I've always looked at, you know, uh, destination trail races. They've had, they got those three premier events. And then uh, this one just... Um, intrigued me because it was a, a new one that came up. I've never raced with Air Viper before. And um, I've always looked at some of their events and yeah, just being a first year, I thought it'd be kind of cool to jump in and see what it was about. And, you know, the point to point intrigued me as well. Um, want to explore that way. Yeah. I mean, from my experience, having to repeat anything, I, I'm just not good at it. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I just get bored or, or what, but I think that was part of the allure of the triple crown for me, at least was like, okay, once I jump over this rock, I never have to see this rock again. Like, cause yeah. those are big loops. This is a point to point, but I mean, tell me about like night before this race. Cause you, you have so many races under your belt. We could literally, I think we could probably have a whole season of podcasts talking about each one. You finished what, like 75 ultras or something uh, to that effect? Cocodona was my 76 and I've, uh, I finished 74 of them. So I'm, uh, nice. 74 um, to 76. Um, but yeah, I've run quite a bit. I, I don't like training. Some, I love racing. <laughs> I, I mean, and I mean, we can combine the two, right? We'll, we'll talk more about that, but. Um, I mean, you're, you've had so many races, you're going to bed comfortably, I'm assuming before this 250 mile effort, right? You've just done enough where it's like, yeah, for not too worried. I'll figure out things on the fly if needed. Like, yeah, for, for the most part, um, you know, like yourself, I'm, I'm a family man. Um, uh, we made this, uh, this trip as a family. So, um, a little vacation out there. So. You know, uh, I took off uh, early afternoon on Friday and we drove out there 
it's about a 15 16 hour drive from uh, the texas area where i live man crashed in, that uh, is closer cl- uh, crashed in uh airbnb there uh just on the the north side of phoenix and you know black ends black canyon city where the start is is only about 45 minutes away so you know i checked in on saturday and um or sorry, checked in on Sunday. Race was a Monday morning start. So yeah, there wasn't, wasn't too much hassle. You know, I went and picked up my bib and then, you know, I got as much rest and sleep as I could with uh, myself and my wife and our, uh, our four daughters in our Airbnb for the night. But uh, we, we tried to wear them out as much as we can <laughs> so that we could rest, but uh, it is what it is. I'm, but yeah, like you said, I'm kind of used to it and you know what what is that like for you guys like is it like daddy has to race tomorrow like calm down or is it just like yeah we don't all pass out they're good with that are they Uh, young yeah they're they're fairly young eight six four and two they're basically all two years apart so they they understand a little bit but they don't not enough to like uh consciously care about it sort of thing yet so or or understand some of those concepts of okay, we better leave them alone. Let's get some sleep. But, you know, so was, that, that, that's part of life. Yeah. I, I mean, I looked through and it's fun. who was going to do this race and you're having seen your performance at Franklin's 200, several other races. You know, I was like, you know, you can throw down for a fast 100K and then you're one of the rare breed that can actually extend that into some really great 200 mile performances. So you were at the top of my list. I was watching you carefully. And I mean, how, how did that night of sleep go? Were you concerned about that or was it more the night before that? And then, you know, walk me through race morning, everything go according to plan. Yeah. For the most part, uh, like you said, we drove out from Texas leaving Friday. So actually I drove most of the night Friday to get to Arizona on Saturday. So I didn't sleep at all, all Friday as we were traveling. And then we got there early Saturday and rested and then uh, rested through the day. And we did some short uh, sightseeing around the Phoenix area. And then Sunday night after I checked in, I just tried to get as much sleep as I can. Like, like you said, and from your experience, yeah, you, you don't get great sleep the night before, but you just rest as much as you can. And, I think I got four or five hours of good quality sleep. So, you know, not horrible, but not the best, but considering that's, uh, that's pretty good. And then, yeah, I think we had to get up race was, uh, I was in wave one, which was, uh, the first start. Um, and it was a 5am start and, um, we weren't allowed to check in for our race spot trackers for at least, uh, no, no earlier than 45 minutes before. So we had to be there at 4:15 between 455 because of because of the protocols and all that right so they didn't want gathering yeah had a, only had a window of x amount of minutes to be there so that that's an element i did not know was going on like when i just turned on the race or whatever yeah so you got up at what 3 a.m uh give or take yeah i think yeah something like that three and we left at uh yeah shortly after three to be there at uh we were basically there right in time at like four or four ten, but we weren't allowed to get out of our vehicles until that four fifteen time. 
45 See, minutes that before. That explains a lot. I mean, I, I've done that maybe once or twice. Uh, Georgia death race like rings clear in my head because that takes a toll on you. <laughs> Your body's all out of rhythm and you haven't even started the race. And this is a multi-day race. So, yeah. I mean, walk, walk me through the start. I won't get hung up on that. I'm just like blown away that you had to wake up at 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, part of that is the excitement. Some of it's a little bit anxious to get going, but uh, you know, once once you uh, once the gun gets going, it's it's fine. But yeah, there wasn't much to it. Once we were able to check in, I I walked over, filled up my water jugs uh, from the from the water station they had there filled up my pack and walked over and got my uh, spot tracker that's all i needed to do in the morning uh i think they checked our temperature in the morning yeah they did so quick uh temperature check and uh just to say yeah i was here because i already had my bid from the day before my drop bags were dropped off and then basically just um went back to the van and got ready put on my uh my trail toes lube on my socks and uh and my feet and Made sure my pack was all full of everything that I had set out the night before and just uh, hung out with the family for the last few minutes and then waited till about 10 minutes before they called us up at uh, just 10 minutes before for the, the last final briefing before we lined up. So toe socks, no toe socks? Uh, no toe socks. I've used them in the past, but I've used them in the past, but uh, I've been running with uh, dry max lately and just found comfort in them. So I heard just reading some of, uh, you know, people's experiences. Was it runnable? Like at the very start, like I rarely see elite kind of 200 mile elite runners dropping like flies. Uh, so it seemed to be a combination of people are excited, you know, first yeah. race in a long time, probably. Going out, you know, too too fast. It, it seemed like it was hot, hot enough and exposed. But I, I think maybe it's underreported the technicality of this trail. Is that safe to say? I, I haven't been out there. I don't know. Yeah, so the first, um, so we started right at the Black Canyon Cafe or whatever it's called. It's basically half a mile to the Black Canyon Trailhead. Um, for anyone that's been on that portion, I've never been there myself, but then first like three miles, maybe more, we're on the Black Canyon Trail itself. Okay. I could be wrong. I've done it that be, a few times. Could be more than that, but that was nice and smooth. You climbed up um, the first little ridge and yeah, like you said, everyone was excited to get going and yeah, there was a great field out there. The full wave one of uh, males and females, there was a lot of big names there in the long distance running. So I'm new to that distance and a lot of experience at that distance. So some people took off, but I mean, for the most part, it was a good pace. We started uh, just before sunrise. So the few people that did use headlamps, we only had them on for maybe 10 minutes before the sun started creeping up. So everyone big was a uh, big mistake. <laughs> never, never take a headlamp. Yeah, just no, I really start like that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't need mine, uh, or I didn't choose to use mine because I knew the sun would be up within like 15 minutes. So, but uh, yeah, no, they went out pretty aggressive. I don't know if 
I mean, so the 200s that I have run have been very small fields. So I've never, this was very exciting to run in a big competitive field like this too. So mm-hmm. I wasn't quite sure if this was, uh, I don't know. Cause some, all, a lot of the other 200s have never had fields like this either. So it's, uh, like you said, it's probably a combination of, uh, limited racing in the last year combined with, uh, a new race and the excitement of a new race. Yeah. But I but mean, yeah. Oh, sorry, go I, ahead. I was just going to say that, uh, I mean, we didn't even have an international field either. So, I mean, I, I think yeah. this race is going to garner like quite a bit of talented runners down the road. Um, but I've, I've run with Mike McKnight, I think three times, four times. I've only seen him once while running ever. And I was going out a little quick at Moab 240 for the second time, but he he's a smart racer. I'm I'm honestly like 95% of time Mike McKnight. When I see people running ahead of him, I'm like, uh, they might not fully understand this distance because they because Mike doesn't care what anyone else is doing. He'll just pace himself until you know mile hundred or 150 or whatever. Uh, was that your experience too? He kind of yeah, it was uh, yeah, I've never run with Mike until until this race. Um, but yeah, I would never bet against him in a in a distance uh, like this for sure, based on his track record. But um, yeah, I mean uh, the the first climb, like I said, there's about forty of us, thirty six to forty. I can't remember exact numbers on that first wave, but um, but you know, I was in the middle of the pack climbing all the way up that Black Canyon Trail and. Uh, finally daylight broke i was probably like mid-pack the whole first 11 miles to the first aid station were fairly runnable a little bit of technicality a little bit of uphill but then that's where the uh the um death climb started uh that you may have uh, watched unfold in the uh in the live stream I, and and heard all yeah, about heard, i heard about it but i don't fully comprehend it so um, and by the way, the middle of the pack's not a bad place to be. You should consider running there more often. Um, but let, let's hear about this death climb. Yeah, I mean, I watched uh, Jamil's like um, he put out a, a vlog episode on his uh, YouTube channel about the preview of the course and sort of this section um, from mile from aid station one to aid station two, which was like mile eleven to mile. 33 so like uh you know just capping off that first 50k of the race and um essentially i mean if anyone watched the live stream or followed the stats that first 50k we uh we gained just under 10,000 feet so if anyone's run a, a very hard 50k before that's like one of the tougher 50ks that i've ever run and this is to start a uh, 250 plus mile race and uh yeah there's like no shade out there past mile 11 once we we're out of the little bit of canyons it was out in the sonoran desert there was no shade going up a lot of these climbs um fairly rocky um yeah it was just relentless it was basically just so what- a power hike just a power hike for that entire i don't can i don't even remember how long it took me but it was i think it was about uh I think it was about 10 hours before I got to Crown King, which is mile 37. So it was probably about nine-ish, eight and a half, nine hours before I finished that 50K, at least. 
I mean, I, I was seeing Carnage. I was watching it when people were rolling into that aid station, and it was like, uh, guys, this is mile 30. And I, I mean, I knew there hadn't been a ton of water in between those stops. So there, there was no water. Yeah. So there was a, so that's a 22 mile, 22 miles. Almost. Yeah. And when we were no water, which I've done before, but not exposed in the desert quite on this level it, without a stream or anything, you know? Yeah. There was three potential stream crossings at uh, Jamil highlight in his, uh, in his uh, pre-race run thing, but everything was bone dry. Even the river at the Ooh. bottom uh, at the Black Canyon Trail was dried up. Um, so there was nothing out there for sure. And we What's were, going through your head? And we were when... required required to carry three liters of carrying capacity uh, for this reason, for this section only. Um, so I knew that, uh, you know, when we started the race, I think it was like 60 degrees. And that was when the sun was still down. So I knew it was going to be hot. Um, I almost wish I took a little bit more flask with me. I took a uh, two-liter bladder, and I had two soft flasks and one other spare soft flask. So I had 3.8 liters myself, and I almost took my fourth soft flask just as a backup for that section. I wish I did, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was it was crazy. It just uh, halfway at the climb, I just started taking inventory of my water and I just knew I had to ration it out as I uh, <laughs> marched through that section, just try to time it out and make sure I still had enough by the time I got to the top. Now, did you alter your pace? Because I think a lot of runners, like it's their first race or whatever, they hit a hot exposed section, they run out of water and they continue to run at the same pace that they always run. And all of a sudden they have massive issues. Um, I, I'm assuming, and I might be wrong here. Did you ratchet your pace down a notch to, to handle not only the climb, but the hot exposed situation. And then you don't have water potentially. Yeah. For the most part, the heat wasn't, uh, too bad yet. I'm used to the heat living in Texas. Although humid heat is way different than dry heat, <laughs> um, your body acts a lot different. So I'm not going to say that's the same. Uh, it felt very hot out there, but um, yeah, I mean I'm not the super fast power hiker on hills, but once I uh, hit those hills, I was not running any of the flat spots between. I basically just did a power hike the entire time. Like I said, I was in the mid packs, and you know maybe 20th when we started and. By the time I got to the top, I just kept a nice steady pace and there was people that were stopped on the side, huddled under the little shrubs, trying to get shade where they could and taking breaks wow. in the shade. Um, By the way, there's 200 people in this race. So <laughs> yeah, 20, yeah, and I'm, 20 and, is a little, well, we, little far up. Well, we started in the, in the, in the top <laughs> 40. So given that perspective, right? I only I'm saw just... that portion to start with. <laughs> but yeah, even there you know, surprisingly I passed, you know, basically half the people ahead of me just on that climb, just by keeping a steady pace and I wasn't pushing it. People passed me, but then I passed them again, but keeping my steady pace. So I think I kept a very constant pace all the way up. And I think it was sixth or seventh by the time I topped out somewhere around there. I, I reached out to you cause I thought you ran one of the smartest races out there. 
um, you never deviated very much. I mean, it was like exactly how you run a 200 in my head. Uh, what was going through your head in terms of like mental strategy when you hit, this is a hard section. This would be in itself a hard race. Like even yep. if you just go do that 50 K I mean, what mental strategies were you using there besides just being from Texas and being somewhat acclimated to heat and, and whatnot? Uh, I think the strategy was just uh, the draw of just getting to Crown King and seeing the first aid station, and just the excitement of uh, getting that over with, <laughs> you know, using that little mental check of, okay, that's done. <laughs> Cause there's like uh, basically like four, maybe five big major climbs. And this was the, like the first of them right off the bat. So, you know, just being able to get to that first aid, first aid station and actually see Civil, civilization again in the middle of a uh, crown king there where the crews were gathered and then the uh, small towns gathered with the aid station it was uh just sort of that draw to get me out of that desert portion and up into the pines it reminds me of ccc and he's like mile three just vertical <laughs> like like really guys um so i mean walk me through the next few miles I mean, get me to a mile hundred or or whatever it is, because uh, I mean this race took longer than I think anyone anticipated. I was I was in the YouTube chat saying this has to be a sixty five hour race, and, and the announcers, the the awesome announcers, were they're going back and forth and like ah we think sixty hours. I'm like, there's there's no way, like that's not happening. Yeah, and, I think they're. Uh, their graphic they put out was based on 60 hours and uh and i think their yeah. uh their, their guide and uh our runner's guide was this the same thing they had an estimated first place and uh and the cutoff times and it was based on 60 hours too and yeah Off i think they need, to, no need, need to revise that for uh 2022 a little bit i mean so but but walk me through because this is taking a long time like Moab two forty, you clip off eighteen miles. It's like pretty quick. Um, this is taking a heck of a lot of patience. I'm assuming you're just like hold back, hold back. Like, are, are you even really pushing at all until you get to the hundred mile mark, or, or walk me through to that hundred point? Yeah, I'm, I I try not to run on a, like a split base time. I run on. A, a perceived effort so for me that's uh good and you know on these long efforts i just know that i have that much more to go there's no no reason to sprint now or anything crazy and and outdo myself but then when i do feel good i, I i'll let the legs open up and run run downhills when i can and but i won't do anything crazy like uh run up a hill <laughs> i'll never do that but uh you know just keep moving steady but i don't ever like say i need to be at the next stage station at x time or something like that so i guess in that sense i uh i try and keep it patient and easy going that way but yeah after crown king we got to that aid station it was great seeing uh the media teams and all the crew people there cheering and giving us kudos and 
And then from there, I think we did another three mile climb out of town, straight up the mountain. Um, but it was fine after getting a whole bunch of calories in and a little break. And then after that, it was uh, a few rolling hills and stuff for a while. I'm trying to remember the next, uh, can't remember the next aid station. Well, we ran all the way to Battle Flat, which was mile 50, and there was a lot of downhill on that one, which was uh, a nice break, and I actually felt a little, little runnable. But again, I tried not to destroy my quads because it was like a five or six mile, maybe even more down downhill net downhill section. So I mean, if you really wanted to, you could probably run super fast and smash your quads and the rest of your race there if you if you didn't think of it that way so i just tried to keep it steady and just roll as best i could without falling forward and uh, overloading my uh my muscles but from that aid station to the uh top of uh to the next one i can't remember the name of the i've got it over here on the side camp kippa mm-hmm which was uh, the fifth aid station, which is mile 65. So just after 100K. So from Battleflat to Camp Kippa was um, 13 miles and 11 of that was all uphill. So this was a, another massive section that was uh, just basically a nonstop grind climbing up. Um, and yeah, it was... Uh, it was it was crazy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think what, I fully was, uh, understood the profile before going into it because uh, <laughs> I, I I didn't fully expect it until uh, then I realized holy smokes we're just nonstop going up and up and up. I I mean I've I've done one race where it was forty two thousand feet of gain, over two hundred six miles. So Bigfoot is kind of where I benchmarked right. the climbing, and then I was like exposed desert like super techie stuff that you guys were doing i was just like this this looks hard um i mean tell me about just trying to grind out these miles are you just going aid station aid station are you going mile by mile no, yeah, absolutely. I'm just going aid station, aid station. Like I said, I, I, I glanced the the preview beforehand. I know the general course preview, but I don't like memorize it or or like like I said, I don't say split, 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 split. I just uh I know the general profile that's coming, but I don't have it memorized. And um, you know, what's great about uh the stair viper race is you get to the aid station, they have a big sign taped up on there that says x miles to the next one and they have the the profile of the section there so you can take a minute and say okay this is what i got to do to get to the next one but uh yeah absolutely that's just how i broke it down and that's how i determined how much uh fluids and stuff to stuff in my pack for each one i mean i'm i'm thinking to myself i think franklin's had a heck of a lot of gain I'm trying to yeah. think of other races you might have done that had more than forty-three thousand feet of gain. No, there yeah, be that many, right? No, there's uh, yeah, the Franklin's uh, two hundred, which I ran twice, was uh, 
is approximately uh, 45 to uh, 47,000, depending on whose watch you believe for, for 202 miles. So, so yeah, that it's one, generally equivalent. Is that right? Yeah. Overall, except this one's over 250 miles, but uh, yeah. And I mean, tell me about going into the first night. I mean, was your body going through the typical down cycle, getting ready to sleep? And then how do you handle that? Yeah, for sure. So this uh, getting to the top of uh, Camp Kippa, which was mile 65, like I said, which is just over 100K, which is 100 something K. Um, uh, we climbed all the way up there and it was, uh, I think we top out at like 7,200 or 7,500 something up there. And it was windy and it was chilly. It was dark at that time. I can't remember exactly what time of the night it was. It must have been 11 or 12 you know, basically midnight by the time I got up there. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, I was already beat and, you know, that was a tough 50 K to start and maybe even a tough hundred, even a tougher hundred K to start. Cause I, I don't even remember looking at my watch to see how much gain we had, uh, after a hundred K, but I bet you it's, uh, close to 13 or 14,000 at that point. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a brutal start to the race and a lot of it uh i thought arizona believed in switchbacks but apparently a lot of their climbs don't have switchbacks so there was a lot of straight up and down on the climbs which made it uh no kidding i i haven't experienced those yet yeah <laughs> black canyon 100k well i'm, sure, I'm sure you did in flat, uh, in europe a little bit with ccc and stuff but uh, uh it was insane yes absolutely yeah. insane never experienced that over here in the in the north americas either myself well that's interesting and so i mean are you questioning yourself at all throughout this race is is there ever a point where you're like it let's just pull the ripcord like did quitting ever cross your mind uh, of course cross my mind but going into these races um I, I staggered my goals. My A goal is always to finish. And then from there, I'll set a B goal of a whatever X time or I want top 20 or top 10 or something like that. I always, I always work backwards, but I always start with, I want to finish. So not really. Um, you know, like I said, I've completed 74 to 76. So I like to say that uh, I've got enough uh, grit and, uh, and enough stupidly combined to sort of keep going <laughs> <laughs> i'd be impressed but, uh, but it was those two those, those two <laughs> um i mean walk me through getting to the halfway point and i mean essentially i think this episode is going to be how to run 250 miles um but walk walk me through how you got to the halfway point and what your state of mind was and like how much sleep you were getting and that sort of thing. Yeah. So to uh, finish off that first point, after you said, um, got that hundred K 65 mile uh, portion at that high point, And then we did another big, long downhill. We basically climbed all the way up this mountain. And then we had to descend down all the way to the other side, but the middle of the night at this point, And we got up there and there was four or five other runners huddled around the campfire drinking hot broth at this point, And, I think the next one was a, uh, a sleep station. And usually I don't, I try and avoid the sleep on the first night on these multi-day events from, from my 
limited th three three other experiences, but uh, I also learned that I need to listen to my body. So um, I basically got to the next one and it was like three or four a.m. and I decided I'd, I'd lay down. Um, I wasn't uh, completely loopy yet, but my legs were beat up from this first climbs and uh i think i slept for about uh close to 90 minutes i uh i either like to do a, a 15 to 20 minute power nap or a, or a 90 minute full sleep cycle um that's uh the average sleep cycle for the human works great for me i've tried it out a few times so i either like to sleep 90 minutes or three hours sort of those equivalents on the cycle so i slept for 90 minutes on that first night I don't know what place uh, I was in. I think it was like sixth or seventh when I got there and no idea when I woke up, but it didn't matter at that point, way too early in the race. But, you know, I uh, got up and just kept moving from that point. And, you know, in the, in the morning, you get the nice sunrise and circadian rhythm boost, which uh, always helps. And then uh, from there, I remember getting to um, trying to look here uh, yeah we had one other big climb in there I think first thing in, would have been first thing in the morning for me we climbed another another mountain all the way up to uh, to uh, Mingus Mountain which was like 115 miles um, but again after the rest it, it didn't feel as bad um, as, as odd as that sounds that far into a race but when you're running 250 you you try not to think of the mileage you know climbing that much three four thousand feet at mile 100 yeah that's then, it's yeah. absolutely crazy i mean can you it, explain it, when you say how, it it does sound crazy but you just try and in the you big don't think picture about it. You can't, exactly it can't help you if you're like <laughs> oh i'm only five percent away through this race and my legs are trashed like you're yeah. not going to help yourself. Um, explain to the listener or viewer what it feels like when your legs are trashed and then you go in for 90 minutes. I assume your routine is you eat first so you can digest food while you sleep, but to each their own. Um, walk me through kind of, if I know nothing about the situation, you know, you show up and are your legs feeling pretty trashed and then are you having a meal and then doing the 90 minutes of sleep or, or how's that work out? And then how do you feel when you wake up? Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're spot on there, Rob, obviously from uh, some experience yourself, but uh, yeah, that's what most people do, right? You try and, uh, and that's what I do is you, you get there, you sit down, you take five minutes to breathe and stuff in as much calories of, uh, anything and everything that looks good to you at that point and refuel yourself. And then, yeah, if you can lie down and get rest, you know, what I try and do is get my feet above me. I'll put anything on a jacket or anything, just elevate my feet just slightly above my heart to get that uh, extra blood flow drainage from the, from your feet. Anything helps getting off your feet like that. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. And then I just instantly just, try and go to sleep and and rest and I'll, I'll i'll set a timer like i said for for 90 minutes or sometimes 
only 20 minutes, but I sort of commit to that. And then, you know, as soon as it goes off, I just, uh, I get up and get ready. And usually the first few steps are, are hard. You're, you're stiff after lying there. At least, my God. <laughs> but it then you uh, like half a mile. <laughs> well, no, and that's, uh, that's completely true and fair. You usually on the, you just, get up and you drink some more and hydrate, make sure everything's ready to go and walk by the aid station table one more time and fill your pack, fill your hands. And yeah, just slowly walk down the road. And by the time you loosen up, like you said, it might be half a mile or a mile before you can actually do more in a shuffle. But um, yeah, forward is forward. Once you're moving it, uh, your body remembers that, okay, yeah, we're running. <laughs> your mind, yeah, exactly. you just, you just got to convince yourself. Yeah, we're still going. Did you have a sleep car or, or were you using the tents or pots or? No, I was using, uh, so my wife and kids were out there helping crew me, but uh, uh, very limited. Um, I think I only saw them like four times the entire time. So I was not relying on them for a crew vehicle sleep. So no, I was using the uh, race provided uh, sleep areas, which um, they had four heated ones and two outdoor ones, um, um, which would uh, come into better planning later, <laughs> depending on yeah. the, the time of the day you get to some of those ones. But uh, um, I, I could never nail it down. It was always like, unless I had a sleep car available, like right there on the spot, I'd always miss like uh, the sleeping bag got soaked in a rainstorm. <laughs> and then like, you know, like just... It, it the logistics never worked out unless I had just a van or something kind of on the spot, as you know. I mean, yeah, those tents are uh, great though. Yeah, the one the the other time I did use one on, uh, uh, I guess it would have been the third night. I I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore, and I got to one of them, except it was two a.m. and it was forty degrees, and we were at seventy seven thousand feet elevation. So I laid down for. 20 minutes before I shook, shook myself a week awake because it was so cold. Um, it was basically yeah. just a cot in a tent. They didn't have a full blanket service and everything out there, but you know, they warned us about that, but just the way that it, the timing worked out and I got to that one, it, it is what it is. And I just couldn't, I just need to close my eyes for a minute. So <laughs> totally. I I've slept on the most crude blankets basically cardboard boxes that you cover yourself yeah. in and had the most splendid night or, you know, hour of sleep um, during races. But I mean, honestly, I, I don't even want to think about the critters out there. How are you feeling halfway through this? Are you confident in how things are progressing? Are you questioning things or are you just, have you turned your brain off and you're just in board motion mode and, and you're just grinding yeah so halfway so which would have been uh halfway through night two you're leaving this uh small town of jerome uh there's a big aid station there and then you, you go into town check in there and then head back out um and i left that uh aid station started running down the road and uh maggie uh Guterall and and her pacer at the time, Zach Bader, were there. They they left right behind me and caught up to me. And 
So I ended up actually spending uh, 19 miles running with them in the middle of, of night two, where we surpassed the halfway point. And honestly, I, I rarely run with pacers, but uh, having the company of them there uh, was was great. We chatted about random things and just Zach, uh, Pace, and Maggie, and me just tagging along helped tick tick by the miles. They're so like we two of the nicest people. Yeah, no, I, I would uh, never put those two together, <laughs> like on a trail at the same time. But that would be a big advantage. I would definitely keep me awake. And were they talking much, or like, yeah, were they no, pretty they, quiet we, and just grinding? No, for the first while we uh, chatted for a while and introduced ourselves and just uh, talked about random things and various races and yeah, just ultra chitter chatter. And then, uh, but yeah, for a while, you know, every once in a while we'd, uh, grind away and, you know, Zach was pacing ahead of Maggie. So he was like dragging us along, but it was, uh, it was, it was great because he, he pushed us a lot faster than I ever would have went if I was just running that section by myself. So makes me rethink my pacing strategy moving forward, but I've rarely used a pacer, but, uh, it's pretty neat and pretty cool to run with, uh, some super elites like that. Uh, out there yeah you're not the first to have zach bitter running in front of you pushing the pace so <laughs> even if he's pacing um and so did that second night were you how were you mentally because i come out of the second night you have that boost initially then there's like kind of a lull we'll wait until we get to the third night that's when things get sketchy um, but are are you hallucinating at all because of the heat and dehydration? I, I personally, from behind the scenes was like, there are going to be some stupid hallucination <laughs> stories. Like you can't be that dehydrated, pushing yourself and going on that little sleep to not start seeing things. Yeah. For myself, I never had, um, hallucinations at all. Um, on any of the, the the three nights so i guess You're that means out. well i've had them before <laughs> but uh i try and avoid them uh purposely by getting rest ahead of time so you know i That's felt a my, really good race I've, i felt I, my eyes getting really heavy and a little trippy on uh, the later portion of night two again which caused me to to lie down at a station that was not a sleep station um, where I actually pulled out my bivy. We're required to carry a bivy <laughs> um, at the aid station. They didn't have anything there. So I was like, I, I pulled out my bivy and I slept behind a cooler <laughs> at the aid station for about uh, 40 minutes um, just, just to get that mind reset uh, quick. What, what is it? What is a bivy for people that don't know and, and why are they required? Yeah. So essentially they're like a um, emergency safety blanket. Um, they're sort of a, they got a reflective uh, one side. So they come in two forms. There's like just a blanket or, or a bivy, which is basically an enclosed sleeping bag type form of it, where it's like a reflective um, inner surface where you basically just crawl into it like a sleeping bag and it's, basically meant to safety wise, keep your core temperature, um, stable. If you're ever in an emergency situation or, uh, 
yeah, if you're basically ever hurt in, in shock or, or requiring to wait for help in capacity for that. And so a lot of the mountain races or, uh, or long adventure races like this one require you to take a, a bivy as a um, required gear. So we we were required, required to have that on us in our packs. So I utilized mine just because, uh, again, they didn't have blankets. So I was like, I could just lie down here and shiver, but uh, I got up my bivy and got a little bit extra warmth for for the the 40 minutes that I did lie there. I'd be like, I, I'm not concerned about saying warm. I don't want a tarantula, you know, <laughs> cuddling up next I to I guess me that's fair. Centipede, millipede, whatever the heck is out there. <laughs> um, but it's funny because you're, you're correct, obviously. Like, they're not meant to just keep bugs off you, but my god some of the bugs out in arizona are outrageous um <laughs> yeah but it was it was the middle of the night and in, in chile so i wasn't i um, that thought never crossed my mind so <laughs> but you're right i guess they could have been out there you're tough you're you're from texas you're <laughs> was it team trot you guys are tough um yeah trail so, racing over texas yep it's it's an awesome group um so walk me through going into the third night like i assume it gets hot actually i'm thinking back i think it actually got pretty warm there i think that was day two into night two or was that day three where temperature really went up a lot and i want to hear how your third night went and how getting to mile 200 felt when you still have 56 miles (laughs) as i spit um yeah, you still have like fifty-five miles to go at, at mile two hundred. Yeah, again, I try not to think about it like that, but you're right. That's uh, that's daunting when you when you spell it out like that, <laughs> which is why you try and avoid that uh, thought process while you're running. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think that it was the second night where the temperatures were actually quite warm until it got late in the night because night three was not uh super warm so night two was the the warmer one and then um yeah night three uh i did the big giant loop around uh, the sedona area there's like this big giant loop so i hit that basically early in the morning it took me all all 10 12 hours of the daylight to get all the way around which is like 35 or 40 miles and it's a beautiful red rock exposed area of the sedona but it was uh it was very warm and and hot against that rock so by the time we got there um yeah i grinded the whole day through that heat um we took some back roads all the way to the very northern edge of Sedona. And then from there, I remember it was uh, just getting to sunrise. So just going into night three, it was like 4 p.m. And the sun sets around uh, 7 p.m. out there. Yeah. And so it was like peak hotness. And we had this um, giant climb for like um, up Kasner Mountain, which is like uh, up to the Coconino Plateau, which is like, 3,500 straight up. Um, so I decided to take a quick nap there again in the heat of the day, just so I didn't have to start 
this um, long climb in the very peak heat, um, just basically strategy-wise. Um, very smart. Yeah, very I don't smart. know if it helped or hurt. Well, it didn't hurt, but I don't know if it helped. But uh, Versig was doing the same thing. Like, it, it seemed to be, I mean, why, why put yourself through that when you're going to be so much more efficient running at night as long as your headlamp works, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I, I think I slept for about 40 minutes there and, you know, I still started out in the daylight, but then the sun was going down the backside of the mountain as we started up this climb, which took, you know, a couple hours getting straight up all this, uh, the whole mountainside. So that was the start of uh, night three. And then, yeah, basically we climbed to this higher elevation. And by this point I was uh, not around too many people. So we were just running all these back uh, double wide tracks in the middle of nowhere. Um, very scenic from what I could see with my, uh, with my headlamps and, uh, and my Kogela waistlamp. But um, yeah, it was just a long grind in the middle of uh, that night just to keep going. Could again, you see just, the lights of Flagstaff? Like uh, where your ultimate goal was? Could you see lights or was it pitch not, dark were you too far away? Yeah, not really. I think we saw the, the glow of some of the light, you know, the city glow above in the sky, but uh, I don't recall actually seeing the city lights. And then by the time we got, uh, I think I was too far away because by the time the morning came, I couldn't see where Flagstaff was at all. And then, of course, uh, on the very end, if you look on the map, we sort of do a loop around Flagstaff mm -hmm. before you climb all the way up Eldon, and then you can see down onto the city. So that was like what, almost the what first was time. That, what was that climb like? Because I saw the course profile, and that looked like, seriously, Jamil, what are you doing <laughs> to these people? <laughs> um, it looked like a vertical, like, just climb straight up. And I swear I remember hearing someone talking about almost like sketchy type climbing, especially on legs that are, are pretty rough. W was there any point where you had a harness on or, um, <laughs> you know, like three points of contact at all, at all times or. Uh, there was, how was that? Well, there was times where I definitely used my hands to pull myself up because some of the step ups on, on those rocks were at least knee high on some of them. You know, there wasn't perfect stairs or it wasn't a perfect slope yeah you did you have to hoist yourself and, you only had 230 miles on your legs or whatever <laughs> i mean i think it was, it was easy 240 245 or something it was almost it was almost at the end there was only eight miles once you got to the top so <laughs> it was right there at the end yep that I was mean, four miles of uh climbing right at the very end this this race really this really reminds me of CCC's course profile. Um, tell me about hitting the city street. Are you like you, you said you didn't hallucinate at all? Which some of my best races ever in terms of two hundreds, I I didn't hallucinate at all. Sounds like this is going actually pretty well for you. Is that safe to say? Or I mean, tell me about hitting the city streets and then finding the finish line. I, I got to hear more like just how this overall race went for you. Yeah, no, it was great. Once I finally got to that, uh, peeking out on Eldon there at, uh, 
9,000 and whatever feet uh, above above Flagstaff here, I think 22,000 above Flagstaff, but you get all the way up there. And I got there before uh, basically mid-afternoon. Um, you get all the way up there and soak in the views. You see the town down below and you got basically exactly eight miles all the way to the bottom. And it was all downhill. So I got up to that aid station and uh, the volunteers there offered me a, a nice cold beverage, which I obliged in at the top. And, you know, I was there for about four minutes. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, there's the guy behind you coming up the hill. <laughs> and so oh, no. <laughs> I, I finished uh, finished off my beverage <laughs> quick. Yeah, finished <laughs> off my drink very quickly, handed it back to him, said thank you. And I, and I took off. So being being competitive that I am, I wanted to hold my spot. Um, it's not much difference between eighth and ninth, but uh, my competitive spirit got in me, and uh, I just took off running downhill. And the first uh, five miles was all on like a uh, fire road. Um, I looked at my Strava after, and those were some of my faster miles. I was dropping like nine minute miles, which seemed like it's five blazing. minute miles, which seemed like yeah, five minute miles mentally, to me. Mentally, like right, because it, it mean, wasn't too steep where you would. Uh, smash your quads but it wasn't like uh super flat so it was like just the perfect grade to run down uh i I don't think many people have experienced that (laughs) when you have that many miles on your legs mentally you're like i'm running like eight flat yeah and then like your butt like matt daniels was pacing me at the end of moab and then he's like rob's crushing it and we looked at it and it's like 10 minute (laughs) miles maybe it's all relative but mentally, though, you felt like you were hitting five pace. Oh, flat. it just just felt like I was flying. I I can't run a five <laughs> minute. I can't I can't run a five minute flat mile, but it feels like it. <laughs> and then, and tell me, I mean, tell me about the finish line. That's a really unique finish line. You probably had fourteen cameramen from all angles, with a drone flying over top of you. Yep. Yeah. Um, by the by the time I, I found love. Town Square. Yep. <laughs> Did you get yeah. lost? No, I just it, it just okay. takes a while to get there. So you okay? Like I said, eight miles from the top, uh, I ran down five down, five down, and then there was a you dig, cut off into the single track, uh, jo- rejoin the Arizona Trail for another three ish miles, which slows you down a lot, zigzagging through the trees, and then then you pop out in the city park right on the edge of town, and then from there it was a uh, it's about a mile through the. Uh, through the sidewalks down to the city square but uh yeah you know you're just running along the sidewalks following the uh the arrow and the flag and no one knows what you're doing uh there's no one out there on the on that portion of the city yet and then you make people the final are, turn into people are driving yeah, by just, like oh honey that guy's really struggling <laughs> for his daily run <laughs> yeah, no, exactly until you make the final turn which is uh last couple of blocks and then you get the the volunteers waving into the very, very final shoot and it was right in the the town heritage square they called it, which is basically the center of downtown and there's a big arch set up and yeah, the announcers are from Air Viper are calling announcing you in and yeah. Photographers are there taking pictures and my my kids and uh, wife were there waiting for me. So what was uh, that like? My daughters ran See, up seeing them. Did you did you get to run in with them or, or how'd that go? 
yeah, three of my, three of the four daughters ran out to me and we all crossed the line together. And, uh, yeah, no, it's always great to see them. I try and, uh, whenever they want, it's up to them, but, uh, usually they, uh, they're excited to see me and come run, run, run to see me before I get across the line. So it was, uh, it was great. I, uh, gave them all a big hug and then we walked across the line and yeah, 257 miles done. Do you, you've done some hard races before. How's this rank? This is, uh, definitely up there. Um, I think you froze a little bit here. Yeah, that this is um, mile for mile. Yeah, have you back? All right. Well, let's hear. Oh, uh, hear How's it rank? I'd say yeah. This is definitely uh, for sure one of my top tougher ones that I've ever done, mile for mile. Um. Yeah, just some of those climbs, the heat. Um, I guess just the environmental factors combined with the uh, the distance and the the terrain just makes it um, one of the tougher ones I've ever done. How, you know, and chatting with. Uh, Go ahead. I was gonna say chatting with uh, with Maggie there when I was sharing those miles. She said that that was one of her uh, hardest first hundred Ks as well too. So put that in perspective on some of those, that first portion of the course when she says that you know a lot of the people are sharing that same sentiment yeah no i was fascinating watching her at the 50k mark because i was like a hawk watching every move and she was taking her time and being very methodical and covering off everything um, and she had a smile on her face, but you could tell like she was not rushing things. So I could tell it was kind of a, a rough start. I mean, we had some really good runners that were dropping, you know, at that 50k mark. So I'm just trying to get a reference point. How how did this race compare to something like Franklin's 200? Or is there any other point of reference that you can compare? that you've experienced so franklin's uh being my only other 200 that i've run i ran that one twice but uh comparing it to that one um uh, i'm not sure which i put harder they're both hard in their own respects <laughs> but uh i guess you know this one being a point to point you got the different terrain, diverse climate. You got the the super hot of the day in the low desert, all the way up to the cold and the the low temperatures and the in the higher altitudes. Um, and then you're running at higher altitudes, which uh, myself living at uh, ele- a whopping elevation of uh, 70 feet right now is a is a little bit of a challenge <laughs> sometimes. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know if I'd say it was harder, but they're they're both tough races. I know that, and I haven't run the uh, some of the other famous 200s. Uh, you know, the, uh, the three triple crown ones that everyone's familiar with. But there's there's a lot more out there. But uh, those are the three more popular ones that are f- people are familiar with. But 
Yeah, it's a tough one. No matter what you compare it to, is 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 my final answer. <laughs> you have you have a lot of really good races ahead of you. I, I know, regardless of the distance, like you're you're going to go after some really epic races. I, I have a good feeling about it. Um, I appreciate you taking all this time today. I'm sure you're still kind of recovering from a week long event. Um, what advice do you have for someone thinking about a 250 mile race or even a 200 mile race you've done, was it four now? So I've done correct? four 200 mile plus events. Yeah. It, there's not many people in the world that have done that many of them. Do you have advice for how to even start training, how to try to mentally like tackle this beast? I've done as much as I can trying to explain this. So I'm like, I'm excited to see someone of your, your caliber, try to explain and give advice on that front. I mean, if you're, if you're someone that's thinking about it, do it. You, you've already got that thought in the head. You've got that interest, that spark. And um, for me, that's what motivates me to sign up for races. If you're interested in it, you you have that goal go for it, sign up for it, then worry about how to train for it and get prepared for it. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I think just, yeah, if you're interested in it and you have that drive, you will, you'll find out a way. I, I don't consider myself a super high mileage trainer. Yes, I race a lot, but uh, my weekly average of miles is probably not as high as some of these uh, top ultra runners or maybe even uh compared to the, the people that i finish around but um i just find if you train consistently and and put in the work even if it's only 30 minutes a day you can get your body ready for this um what? and then go ahead the big yeah and then probably the biggest thing is your mindset i mean you you go there to say i'm finishing 257 miles you don't go there to say oh we'll see how it goes like like I said, I put that as my A goal is trying to always finish first. So that'd be probably my biggest recommendation is go with it, go with that mindset that you know you can do it and and work backwards from there. I love it. It's honestly that's a very similar recipe. But you're much faster than me. Um, I think that that recipe works for back to pack, middle of the pack, and obviously front of the pack. Um, what? recommendations you have for dads of uh four little girls uh, i mean how do you how do you fit in training what what is a typical week for someone like yourself and how do you balance being such a great ultra runner with being you know a great parent um a lot of help from my uh my amazing wife but uh a lot of the times you know i got a full-time job as, as well so i'm working uh Luckily, in the last year, I shouldn't say luckily, but switching to remote working last year has been uh, a blessing in disguise. I can I work in uh, IT project management, so my hours are a little bit flexible as long as I don't have meetings. I can squeeze in my one-hour run any time of the day, basically. But uh, more often than not, you know, I'll wait till the kids are in bed or or right around dinner time when when stuff's getting ready. That uh, I'll sneak out for an hour just then and and try and make sure that I am there for the rest of the day for the, for the family. But 
yeah, I, I, it's just get it in when you can. <laughs> Some people are early morning runners. I don't like getting up super early. I get up early to do my work and say my, I do my evening runs or night runs instead, but no lunch runs. Uh, lunch runs are clutch for me. I, I don't know. <laughs> work, working remotely now, I've done a lot of uh, afternoon runs because I start my I usually yeah. wake up and work at like six or seven. And by the time noon, one o'clock comes around, I feel burnt out. So sometimes I'll go for an afternoon run instead of uh, break up the workday a little bit that way. And your work's probably gotten better too, which is kind of crazy. But um, what what's a typical weekly mileage for you? Are you doing... Do you ever do a hundred mile training week? Uh, I have, but not like just to say that I have. <laughs> um, yeah, I've I've done it like with a like a virtual challenge or something in the last year, but uh, no, like typically, I would say for the most part, I'm probably floating between fifty and seventy miles. Um, That's perfect. You know, like not, I, uh, we're not, not, not all... super high, but not super low. I, I, and you're, you're front of the pack. I just, I think modeling your diet on an elite ultra runner or, or modeling your training on an elite ultra runner is a recipe for disaster for 99% of us. But if you got that sweet Hoka deal and you're getting paid to run, yeah, right, that, you can maybe that, that put might... in a hundred mile weeks, but yeah, no one's, no one's paying me to do us. it yet. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, speaking of diet, do you have any special diets going on? Is it just ease with family? It's so hard with kids to keep on point when all those French fries go in for <laughs> lunch or whatever, you know, it's, it's tough. Uh, tell me more about your diet. Yeah, no, no special restrictions. No, no diets, no nothing, but, uh, we just try and eat healthy and provide good model for our kids. But what, yeah, there's no yeah. model or or type of eating that I say we follow. Just like Just trying seal, seal mostly healthy six guys that I interview. Nice. Um, and during the race, did you lean on any kind of food? Because I I personally will do the first hundred miles like textbook liquid calories, gels, all that kind of boring stuff. And then once I get out a little bit further, I'll hit real food hard and like teas with Taco Bell or something crazy. I mean, how did you approach that? Yeah, no, that's uh, very, very similar on these. um, On a lot of my hundred milers, I don't even eat solid food to the very end. So it's sort of like that similar concept. I get through a hundred K before I even worry about that type of stuff. I'm not sure why it's maybe it's just your body getting used to, Oh, maybe we're doing this for a while. And you, you finally realize you need more than, than just the supplemental uh, liquid calories. But um, yeah, no, I'll use a, a tailwind mixture usually is my, my um, cal- caloric intake mix of uh, choice, various flavors. And then, uh, yeah, by the time I hit, you know, 100k usually my big staples are uh quesadillas or potatoes um i love my some mashed potatoes or the or the small boiled potatoes they have that uh always seems to work well with me so they nice. have those i'm I'm always all, all over those um what but anything w- goes 
No, I mean, that's, that's a really good strategy. Um, and you've tested it. So it's not like this is the first time you've ever gone out and done a race, obviously. And I, it just kills me when people go out for a big, important race and then they're trying some kind of new way of, you know, doing nutrition. And it's just like, I, I assume you've been like this throughout your entire running career. Is that correct? Yep. Through, through trial and error, yeah, I've just learned, learned that this has worked for me. And yeah, I'm, I guess I'm kind of lucky. I've never really had super adverse reactions to too many foods. You and Courtney or, uh, taking down those quesadillas. <laughs> it's a popular one. Um, so I got one or two last questions. And again, I really appreciate all your time today. We got to stay in touch if you're ever in Colorado. For sure and you need some really easy miles, I'm your guy. Um, if I were just on the street and I walk up to you and I hear you just ran a 257 mile race and you were fairly competitive, you're right up front. How do you run 250 miles? Is there a way you can break that down simplistically? Slowly. Um, I don't know how I explain that to, to people. Actually, uh, some of my coworkers did find out that I did this. And, uh, when I was off last week, they asked me what I was doing and I, I tried to explain it. I don't know if I came across very, uh, eloquently. So I'm not sure if I have the best answer for this yet. It's, uh, I don't think any of us do. Uh, it's, it's you okay. need to have the want and desire <laughs> to do it. And yeah, just, <laughs> Was, one, one, one step in front of the other. Was there one piece of gear or one mantra or one thing that you leaned on heavy during this race that you'd recommend someone purchase, research, or whatever? Um, I think maybe we just touched on it before is just break it down aid station aid station is that popular natural breakdown but if that's even too much for you at the time break it down by mile by mile or or whatever you see a farmer fence 500 meters in front of you just look at that and say okay i gotta get to that whatever it takes just um sometimes just even keeping your mind occupied for silly things like that might uh do the trick until you can uh, come around or or come into a better mindset. But I don't think there is a magical solution other than you just got to remember that forward is forward. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then my last question, what did either your kids or your wife say to you when you finished this race? When do you remember when you rolled in? Did they did they lean in and say anything memorable? Because this had to be a memorable finish. I was uh, it was very memorable for me, but man, like I said, my kids have seen me do this a few times, and they were just asking if they could have uh, have some of my food that I got from the, the finish line aid station. They're wondering if they could have a bite of that. Uh, and then, you know, asking when we were going to go back to the, to the house and go to sleep, you know, typical kid things, not too worried about what, what the full moment meant. 
but uh it's so, it's so real i like it's good awesome job, just Dad. having them there can we go to your car can we go to the car now yeah <laughs> congrats but <laughs> we're hungry well i i really appreciate you you know taking so much time to really dive into the details of your race i want to stay in touch because we just grace the surface with all of your running background we again we could have a whole podcast season talking about each and every race that you've done in your training so thank you so much for taking you know your valuable time you got four kids probably ready to go to bed here uh where where can people follow you on social media yeah so the best spots are um just instagram uh strava uh, both just at Trevor Metting, 1D and Metting. Um, and I uh, also have a, a blog spot with uh, all my races that aren't even on Ultra Sign Up. And I do race reports for all my uh, 100 miles and plus events. So that's blogspot.trevormetting.com. Check out that blog. I, I've heard really good things about it. Follow this guy on Instagram. He's going to do some amazing races in the next few years. Thank you so much for taking, you know, your valuable time tonight to uh, share your experiences. Well, thanks very much, Rob. I appreciate the uh, invite on and keep up with the great work. Keep training for ultra, everyone. And that was episode 167. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Trevor, really appreciate you taking so much time. Big shout out to Exoskin show sponsor again if you want 20 percent off use the code t the number four u20 for 20 percent off big shout out to you patreon supporters and most importantly don't forget to enjoy your training 